Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 17th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. We could certainly use a little bit of the luck of the Irish ending this week, given some of the disruption that we saw in the banking industry. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, we have a few updates, beginning with the overall report on the Consumer Price Index of Inflation that came out on Tuesday, where the news was somewhat unfavorable, given that the month-over-month increase for core CPI, which excludes food and energy, actually went up from January to February from 0.4% to 0.5%. In addition to that, the overall 12 months trailing report of CPI, again, core excluding food and energy, only went down one-tenth of a percent from 5.6% to 5.5%, which is much less than people were anticipating. The report on advanced retail sales came out on Wednesday, which showed that the economic report actually declined in February 0.4%, which was a pretty big reversal from January, which was up 3.2%, showing signs of moderation in spending in overall retail sales for the month of February. Just yesterday, the report on initial unemployment claims showed 192,000 initial claims for the week, which was a reversal of 20,000 from the prior week, which had actually gone up 20,000 from two weeks ago. So we've got some volatility in the initial claims reporting, but overall still staying within a level that shows that the job market is still robust, at least at this time on March 17th. And finally, just this morning, the industrial production for the overall U.S. came out basically flat month over month. So that being the case, we've got a number of other topics to discuss, including what's happening in the overall banking industry and what's happening with the banks in general. From that perspective, we go directly to George to start our conversation today. And George, your your thoughts on the overall economy as well as what's happening in the bank industry would certainly be appreciated for our listeners today. George? Well, Brian, I think the economic headlines of the week kind of took a backstage to everything else that's going on uh, in terms of the overall banking sector. You know, there were some news items out with respect to the, the economy, and it looks like we're slowing down again um, after we had a pretty good bounce in earlier this year and in February. Uh, March seems to be slowing down a little bit. You know, retail sales were a little bit weak. Um, jobless claims actually uh, went a, in a good direction since they went down. So the employment situation seems like at the margin, it's holding there quite steadily. But again, I think the bigger story, the bigger ongoing conversation right now amongst market participants happens to do what's in, inside the banking sector. And you know, I don't know if there's anything that really was changed uh, from a week ago. It seemed like this time last uh, last week, we were trying to get a heads around what Silicon Valley Bank was doing. Uh, and it does, actually, this was the uh, the week that, uh, or the day of the week rather, that the bank essentially was taken under by the, um, by the FDIC. And then we went through the weekend of trying not knowing how that actually would get resolved. 
the news that came out Sunday night was pretty positive. Um, market didn't seem to take it as such um, in the sense that most of the financial um, companies inside the, uh, the 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 markets themselves were uh, thrown through a lot of volatility over the course of the week. But I do think that uh, that's still the ongoing discussion where the Federal Reserve has put a backstop on deposits, which is good. So it's kind of stemmed the tide of liquidity um, for now. Uh, that's a really powerful thing that they did. And frankly, um, you know, it's been met with some decent acceptance. So I think that, that that's a provide that's providing some some stabilization. But at the same time, this uh, this situation in the financial sector hasn't been quite uh, completely resolved either. Um, a lot of turmoil over overseas. Uh, another major major institution called Credit Suisse that many of our listeners might not know about, but it's a pretty large institution. And um, you know, maybe unlike Silicon Valley, it's probably more systemically important to the the overall economy. And I like to, I like to think of it as, as kind of one of those big institutions that uh, really can help manage the plumbing of the overall financial uh, system. In the sense, if you think about the plumbing, that's kind of behind the drywall in your house, you really don't see it until there's a problem. Um, and unfortunately, we're kind of seeing some, some ramifications of that where Credit Suisse is going through a lot of different, uh, a difficult situation right now. It seems like trying to raise funds, trying to shore up their balance sheet, trying to shore up their customer base. Um, and now they're having a situation uh, to take money from the Swiss government. So it's a pretty fraught situation, I think, uh, with a lot of volatility. You know, at the same time, I think um, I think it's interesting to see that the European Central Bank um, actually raised interest rates this this past week uh, to try and get inflation under control. So, Cindy, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. Get your thoughts on on really what that might mean for the Federal Reserve because they're going to be up next week to talk about interest rates here at home. What are your thoughts? You are right, George. I was very surprised by the ECB and. And I think their 50 basis point rate hike cleared the path for the Fed to raise rates by 25 basis points on Wednesday. And that'll set the new Fed funds range to uh, from 475 to 5%. Um, but here's the caveat. The growing sense of calm in the regional banking sector needs to extend through 2.01 p.m. on next Wednesday for this to happen. Uh, Fed officials have previously made the distinction between tools designed to promote financial system stability, as you mentioned, and those used to steer the real economy or the policy rates. And, and I think the policy rates are falling into that latter category. And in light of the February inflation release uh, that revealed core services inflation X shelter, which is one of Powell's favorite items to focus on in his press conference, that was the highest since September, February's number. So if, if this was the only factor of relevance, I think the Fed would be biased, extremely hawkish at the moment, but that's not going to be the case with, with what we've had going on for the past week. And, and adding to the uncertainty of next week's policy decision is the Fed's long history of taking opportunities to hike rates afforded to it by the investors. Uh, the activity in Fed fund futures yesterday showed uh, over 80% probability the FOMC delivers a quarter point hike next week. Now that's around sitting around 76%. Naturally, the pricing doesn't distinguish between a hawkish or a dovish hike, but I would err on the side of a dovish one because the futures continue to offer Powell cover to move and the committee separates stability from inflation risk. Uh, volatility in Fed expectations is remarkably high as we head into the weekend, and there has been notably little consistency in US rates pricing around the event. 
So indecision is consistent with the rapidly evolving understanding of the severity, reach, and contagion of the banking sector strain at this point. So if the weekend passes without any further obvious indications of deterioration, the weekend's more likely, the market is more likely to not give Powell the green, to not, the market is more likely than not to give Powell the green light to go ahead and, and hike 25 basis points. A contingent call for a contingent market, I like to call it. Uh, renewed optimism that the situation might be contained was attributed to reports that a group of major banks are working together with First Republic that came out yesterday. That being said, I expect the Fed to be humble in their message next week regarding their thinking about the instability in financial markets and the impact on the economy. The dot plot and summary of economic projections uh, ties the committee to the numbers, but these numbers are conditional. And Chair Powell will most likely stress the high degree of uncertainty of their forecast during his press conference. I would agree with that, Cindy. I think that, um, you know, the markets really uh, changed their, their mindset of where the Fed is going. I mean, if we talked about March 7th, uh, when Fed Chair Powell was in front of Congress and gave his testimony, at that time, the market anticipated that the, the terminal Fed funds rate would hit 5.6% sometime in September. The market gravitated towards uh, the Fed's thinking that, you know, we have to get inflation under control. And uh, the market anticipated no more rate cuts or no rate cuts for 2023. That was very different than where, where we started the year off with the market expectations. After this recent banking fallout, we did see the market expectations change quite a bit. Now we see a lower, a lower terminal rate of around 4.2%. We see rate cuts as soon as the June FOMC meeting. And, you know, we're like you mentioned, Cindy, we're going to find out a lot of the Fed's, uh, Fed's mindset, their summary economic projections. This is all very important. But in the same time, you've got to look at the fixed income markets and see exactly what has happened to rates um, just based on the one week that we've had here. Uh, tremendous movement in the rates market. Uh, we saw the two-year treasury. Uh, the two-year treasury yield fell substantially, over 100 basis points in just about... Uh, nine days, which is really incredible. Uh, we're at the two-year rate. We were at 5%, a little over 5% on the two-year. We're down to 4% there. The two-year is most sensitive to Fed policy. So I think the two-year is going to be very sensitive to whatever happens at the FOMC meeting next. Um, the 10-year, uh, that's also moved pretty substantially. We saw the 10-year uh, hit around 4% sometime uh, early March. We're now down to 3.4%. That's the 60 basis point swing in the 10-year. And again, the 10-year for our listeners is as indicative of what's happening in the economy. So we're going to see these two factors play out uh, quite a bit. We've talked about the twos, tens curve being inverted since March of last year. That's a strong signal for recession. Um, we, that twos, tens curve remains inverted to the order of about 60 basis points. So all of these are like flashing signs of why would the Treasury uh, be rallying? There's two reasons that I see. One, Treasury tend to rally when it's a safety haven play. So uh, there, uh, many investors try and take risk out of the markets. They're going to uh, Treasuries. The other, the other point at hand here is, like we mentioned, the Fed meeting coming up and will the Fed, there was a, there was a notion that maybe the Fed does nothing or does less than expected. So I think these, these factors are going to continue to play on the rates market. Uh, if you look at credit spreads, however, they've been pretty, uh, they've, been, they've been wider, but they've been resilient. Uh, they're not really screaming out panic signals. If you look at credit spreads for both investment grade and high yield, they both have widened, but not to the levels that we saw in 2008's uh, financial crisis, and also not even to the levels that we saw during the height of the pandemic. So Steve, I'm kind of surprised to some extent, given all this turmoil that we've been 
trying to process and digest that the, the stock market, you know, as measured by the S&P, is actually up about 3.5% this year. Um, you know, you would have thought it would might be down a bit more, and many stocks are up significantly higher. So what's your take on this? How do we kind of square the circle between some of the volatility in the banking sector and the overall stock market? I mean, George, I'm listening to all this discussion, banks, bonds, like, what are you talking about volatility? I mean, the equity markets this week, I, I'm staring at my Bloomberg screen right now. I'm looking at a market at, at 39.40 on the S&P 500 this morning. Uh, at the close last Thursday, when we kind of went into this, let's call it a, a crisis period, if we want to call it that, the S&P was at 3918, so we're 33 points higher, almost 1% up for the S&P 500 over the last six trading sessions. Um, and we did have a little bit of a pop in volatility, you know, not to be flip. Uh, we did, we we went to to 30 on the on the the VIX, which is the SIBO volatility index, uh, which measures one month forward volatility for the for the for the markets. Um, however, if you look historically, that's really not not significant at all. I mean, we really don't start to see um, volatility spikes become material in terms of having predictive ability for where markets are going until you get two standard deviations away from from the mean and, and that number is at 36. So this was not anything that would be viewed by an outlier by, by market participants whatsoever. Um, I think the, if, we, if we had not gotten an alphabet soup uh, uh, Fed intervention on Sunday evening with the BTFP, um, which, which is the, the bank term funding program, uh, I, I, I think then maybe the outcome might have been different for equity markets this week. Uh, but because we got quick Fed action, uh, it kind of took the, the bad outcomes off the table and, and let equity investors focus on uh, what, I, what I think they really want to focus on, which is the, the likelihood that the Fed hiking cycle might be over. Uh, when we think about uh, historically, what happens when we start to see the bodies float to the surface after a tightening cycle, when the bodies start to float to the surface, the cycle's over. And historically, that has meant the next move for the Fed is looser money, not tighter, and equity investor, investors respond very well to loose Fed policy. So, you know, that's been the playbook that equity investors have been deploying this week for better or worse. Um, and and the outcome is, you know, well, while we see two-year yields down 70 or 80 basis points from where we were a week ago, equities are higher. So I, I think that there's a there's a fairly resilient message there for people to take uh, as we we look over the next few months. Steve, that's a great observation. Saying it a different way on this podcast and many different communications that we've had, we've always talked about the system breaking. So we've said that the Fed will continue raising rates until one of two things breaks, either inflation breaks or the jobs market breaks. But this is a different version of something breaking within the banking industry. So George, from your perspective, do we think this is a time to define when something has broken? Uh, yes, I think I think this is uh, definitely signs of something breaking, Brian. Um, and it's not necessarily always contained to the labor market, as you pointed out, or some other part of the economy. But I think um, look, the financial sector, unfortunately, is is prone to some accidents. And we've seen this before. I mean, I think if I go back into the 80s, if I remember, there was an institution called Penn Square, I, I believe it was called, and they were a, a really 
uh, pretty super regional bank, kind of contained and really kind of focused on the on the oil markets. And we had a big oil boom. Uh, the bank did very well, then ultimately collapsed, frankly. Um, so I think there's some kind of parallel between what happened then and today with Silicon Valley Bank in the sense that they themselves were uh, were very concentrated in the venture capital community and. Roughly 80% of their overall customer base was um, was tech based or or startup based, and that uh, that was kind of a, a parallel, I think, between what we saw back then versus today. Um, I think it is important to note, however, that the oral banking system is still sound, right? So, despite the fact that there might be an isolated or maybe one or two large significant um, events focused on one institution, the overall sector, the overall healthy economy, is still sound. So, I think. We have to keep that in mind, and this kind of creates probably more volatility and more uncertainty in the near term. But ultimately, these things do get resolved, and we continue to kind of rebuild and, and go forward from that point on. So even despite the fact that there seems to be a lot of negative headlines and maybe some consternation around one or two institutions uh, that are really dominating the press, I do think that the overall safety is uh, is really much in place, and ultimately we uh, we recover from these situations uh, as we've seen time and time again. Well, thank you for the conversation today, George, Steve, Rajiv, and Cindy. We certainly appreciate your insights given the market volatility this week. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA Incorporated or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.